Avinu Kane, our Father and our King. We give you thanks for being together here. We thank you for allowing this to happen today. Give us the, the ears to ear, hear your, your words, and allow us, Lord, to treasure that in, your, in, in our hearts and to live and express this from inside out. So we can, so that the world can see the light that shines in us that comes from you, Lord. And we just pray that you uh, um, anoint Michael tonight's teaching, Father. We ask you this in the name of Yeshua, Messiah. Amen. So if you'd open in your Bible to Acts chapter 8. That's where we're starting and will be in most of tonight. There will be a few other scriptures we may look at. And I've asked uh, Pauline if she would read for us, starting in verse 26 and finishing to the end of the chapter. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azimtus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Okay, thank you. Very well. Um, so, we are continuing in the walking in another's moccasins, driving in someone else's car, or, you know, whatever this might look like for you, wearing a different coat, or putting on someone else's parka. It, it's just the idea of that we learn to see beyond ourselves because we're usually geared that way of looking inwardly, of learning to see ourselves and our own needs at times, and we don't usually look outwardly toward what God may want us to do with someone else. And so that's kind of why we use the metaphor of walking in another's moccasins. Uh, 
That doesn't mean though we have to keep it that particular way. We can put all using another guy's computer, surfing on another guy's board, whatever you want to call it, you know, riding someone else's bike, what it, whatever it might look like for that person. Because everybody is wired differently and geared differently. And it's basically just the idea that we learn to see outside of our own life and outside of who we are and who God wants us to, in a sense, get in touch with as we are moved in that way. So we've been going through this study, and tonight we kind of have a different story, in a sense, that we're looking at. Um, I don't know, I, I'm not as familiar with all the teachings. It was a goal of mine to go back and listen to all of them, because I've been absent through some of the teachings that we've talked about. But in, in, in this particular situation, we have all kinds of differences, in a sense, of who this person Philip is and who this Ethiopian eunuch is. And so, let's start with Philip. Who is Philip? You're one of the apostles. Are you sure? One of the chosen ones. Oh, well, we're getting apostle... And a chosen one. He was a cafeteria worker. <laughs> well, most of the times he's known as Philip the Evangelist. And why is it important to establish and differentiate? Does anybody know? Because there's more than one Philip in the New Testament. Did you know that? The Philip that was the apostle was one of the twelve, and this is not that Philip. This is the Philip that was one of the seven that is talked about in Acts chapter 6. He's second only to Stephen in uh, naming, because, you know, sometimes people look at it, the way they come in the list sometimes is more important, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. But we see that the two guys at the front, Stephen and Philip, if you go back and look at Acts chapter 6, they were definitely um, seen as two of the most dynamic because they had a different ministry. They had a very specific ministry that God used them. And we actually see that um, they were used throughout the book of Acts. And the Acts of the Apostles is sometimes... It should be thought of as the works of the Spirit. Because it's how the Spirit really used each and every person. And even though we, we, we think of it as the Acts of the Apostles, it should really be the works of the Spirit through these guys, or these gals, whoever it was the Lord chose to use. And Stephen and Philip were very different people. Okay, so Philip is an evangelist. He's from Acts chapter 6, and we read here, that he is sent by the Lord to the desert Gaza, down south. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in Philip's shoes, or his boots, or whatever he was wearing, sandals, it might have looked a little bit different to me, because I don't think I would have been like, uh, yeah, go to the desert, that sounds like a wonderful idea, Lord. But Philip obeys the Spirit and does go to the desert. And that's an interesting point in and of itself because it's not 
it's 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 we've seen Philip already be doing some things earlier in this chapter. Did anyone read all of the chapter to kind of get a foundation of the context? What was going on with Philip before the Lord calls him to this desert mission? Yeah, verse 5, Philip went down to the main city of Samaria and proclaimed Messiah to them. And what happened? What was going on when Philip declared the, the word of the Messiah? Unclean spirits were coming out. Uh, paralyzed and crippled were healed. There was great joy in that city. And many people turned to the Lord. So he was, he was already doing something in a sense. Philip already had a work that he was doing. He was already working in Samaria. Now, a lot of times it's very hard to understand if God's given you a lot to do, how he would give you even more. And it would even say, in fact, I want you to go all the way over here. And you read and you begin to read part of verse 5. What happens at the beginning of the chapter? To even set this more in context. What happened after Stephen's death? Persecution. Persecution. What kind of persecution? Was it like people at the job didn't like him anymore? They didn't like the fact that they wore a Christian t-shirt, or... What was happening? People were getting thrown into prison. People were getting thrown into prison, okay? And so what did some of the people do as a result of that? They fled. They fled. They went all kinds of places. And what's interesting is, a lot of times when we're going through a rough time, what we think is a rough time... God has a purpose that he wants to accomplish through that. A lot of times, we don't see the purpose right away. But in a sense, I, I, you know, this is the way I like to sometimes look at it, where, the, where everything was, if we go back to chapter 6, everything was comfortable, maybe. And now God says, I'm going to make things uncomfortable. And sometimes when that happens, God's people do some of their best work, right? God's people are intrigued. Maybe they're even scared, but they become more emboldened. And in this particular place, in this particular time, because Yeshua told these apostles, Way back in Acts chapter 1, you will go to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the, of the world, right? And preach the gospel. What, weren't they going to do that, right? Isn't it say that in the Great Commission? But first, because things were going along, business as usual in a sense, things have to get a little uncomfortable. And that's where the persecution came in and people started to flee to other cities and in that, there were other opportunities presented. Now, I'm not going to say that's always going to happen, but sometimes when we're in a difficult spot, God will definitely use us, or He will make us more sensitized to an opportunity that He wants to do through us. And Philip was doing that in Samaria. He was preaching, 
he was having an effect on what was happening. And in turn, people were coming to the Lord in Samaria. What kind of people lived in Samaria? Does anyone know? Yes, the Samaritans, but what were they? A mix. They were a mix. They were half Jewish, and they were half something else, usually. And a lot of people, at times, uh, they were people that weren't, that you wouldn't probably want to go and take the gospel to. It'd be like if I said to someone who's very Jewish looking, I want you to go share the gospel over here with these Muslims, who are pretty extreme, who don't believe in Yeshua at all. So it's kind of a little bit outside of the box, a little bit uncomfortable. And through our discomfort, the Lord does wondrous things. Does wondrous things. And so it goes even beyond, Philip, I want you to go to the desert. I want you to go to the desert. And I'm sure Philip was pretty stretched at that point of thinking, okay, I'm going to go to the desert. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch, what do we know about him? Well, he was from Ethiopia. Okay. Yes. What else do we know? Probably descendant of the Queen of Sheba and Solomon, or okay, that you're you're definitely could be could be, but what do we know just on the surface? What does it tell us about him? He's curious. He worshipped. Okay, that's a big one. He's a worshipper, right? What else does he do? A lot of responsibility. High, high level position, if you will. Yes, he has authority. That's what the King James says. He has authority. He's been given a certain amount of authority. What else is he? He's a worshiper. He's been given authority. He's a seeker. Well, he is a student of the Word. We can definitely say that, right? Because yes. he's studying God's Word on the way. Okay? And he's in charge of, he's probably in charge of the treasury, in a sense. So that, ex, that not only says authority, but a very high level of authority if he's being put in charge of money, right? Most people that are in charge just don't give their money to anybody, right? You think Donald Trump will just give his money to anybody? He's, he's shown himself to be faithful steward of what he's been given. All these different things. And, here's something else. What is he doing specifically? What is he doing in his chariot? He's reading. How is he reading? Is he just... <laughs> just looking at the words on a page? Is he yeah, doing he that? Know, he didn't know what he was reading, so yeah. Well, it's actually more than that. He's actually reciting... And that's clear as you look more into the text. It's not just a matter of him. It's, you know, he might be reading, um, Behold heaven and earth, I send forth my servant. He's going to bring, you know, he's talking out loud as he's actually hearing. And that's a big part of our faith. Why is it so important for we, us to hear things? He's got to be reading it out loud so he can hear it, right? Why does he need to hear it? Faith comes by hearing. Ding, 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 ding. You get the gold star. Faith comes by hearing. 
Where is that in Scripture? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the words of the Messiah. Okay? Or the Word of God. It's very important that not only do we cognitively look at the Bible and read it, but sometimes when we read it out loud, wondrous things happen. Wondrous things happen. Whether we're in our congregation, or whether we're at our home, or at our place of work, wherever we choose to read it, when we're reading it out loud, doesn't that make a big difference in how things come about? Do you think if you were reading at work, someone would notice you? Reading out loud. My mother read to us out loud. My mother is blind, and she always made a point when we were growing up as kids that she would read out loud to us. And it was an important part of us in each and every part of people learning to read is them hearing the word, hearing it out loud. Something in our brain does something differently when we hear the word, when we actually hear it. And it's an important part of actually coming to our faith. It's an important part of how we grow in the knowledge and in the fear of the Lord. When we actually hear the word out loud. And my kids will probably tell you, Dad, your Bible's too loud. Dad, when are you going to stop listening to your Bible? Dad, you know, because I constantly listen to my Bible on my player. And I listen to it all the time. And sometimes I'll say, Dad, what were you reading today? That was really interesting. I really liked it. I really liked what you were reading. Can you tell me where you were reading in the Bible? And so I'm just saying there's a different dynamic that happens when we read things out loud. Okay, so the eunuch is here and Philip is here. And I know I've been spending a lot of time in these first few verses because this is where a lot of the stuff happens that presents itself in such a way. And Philip is directed by the Spirit to do what? Go over there, right? And stick to this guy. Check him out, right? And in Greek, those words actually are interesting. If you look, I think it's in verse 29 again. The first one, if I'm saying this right, Rabbi David will help me again. Pros erkoma, kumchama? Yeah, pros erkoma. Pros erkoma. And I don't know if I'm spelling this right. I spelled it phonetically in my notes. So, pros erkoma. That has the first one. That has the first idea of coming near. Now, does anybody think, what does that mean when somebody comes near? Does any, did that click with anybody here when I say, come near? Well, if you look what this word actually means, it has the connotation sometimes also to worship. That you come near and worship, right? You come close to the Lord. And even the word for sacrifice and the word for priest... Both have that a sense of coming near unto the Lord to worship Him. 
and Philip was to come near because he and the eunuch are going to worship the Lord. How are they going to worship the Lord? Any idea? Do you, do you know how they're going to worship the Lord? Well, they're going to worship the Lord through study. There was a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Akiva, and he said one of the highest forms of worship is to study God's work. To study God's work. Now, I know Rabbi Akiva is not always a popular rabbi because of some of the the decisions he made, but when it came to this particular point of calling study a high form of worship, he was right on the money. When we take time and we look into God's Word and we want to know more and we dig and we study at it, that's worshiping God. That's worshiping God, whether we're doing it at home or whether we're doing it here in this classroom or we do it at the seminary or we do it whatever we do, it, we're worshiping the Lord. We worship Him even through study. Why, is, why, is, why do you think that is? Why do you think we worship the Lord through the study of His Word? What happens to us? We're listening to Him. We're listening to Him. What else happens? We're learning more about Him, who His character is, who He is. And when you learn something about the Lord, what happens to you? You, you become different, right? You change. You change and you grow. You change and you grow. And that's why it's important to understand when we stop and we look in God's Word and we study it, we're actually worshiping the Lord. And the Lord, when He speaks to us and He enlightens us and He teaches us something we didn't know before, don't we get excited? We get very excited and we are, in a sense, have that aha moment, usually, of saying, oh, wow, the Lord just taught me something. I'm going to change how I pray, or I'm going to change how I look at God's Word now. And by that change, we grow, and we are worshiping God. We're actually worshiping Him. Now, the next word uh, is, and I'll spell this phonetically again, kalo. Kala, kalao, I think is how you say it. And it has the idea of sticking. And this word actually has the emphasis of glue, being glue. Why does Philip need to be like glue to the eunuch? Why does God want him to be sticking close to him? sidekick to let him know that he, he understands what he's going through and he wants him to understand he's there to help him. And well, caring relationship. There's a relationship. There's definitely the relationship. People we're close to, we have relationships, right? We have a relationship. And through that relationship, there's an exchange of ideas, there's listening, there's growing. There's a chance to hear each other out. And that's what the Spirit is directing Philip to do. So in each of those situations in our lives at times, 
we're called also to draw near to people and to stick close to them. Because by doing that, we will be able to impact them. Mary, you wanted to say something. And seeing what their need is and trying to help fill it and see how, how the Lord, how Yeshua can fill it because uh, the eunuch was really coming away with so much information that he didn't have to you know, put it all together. So he has the information, right? And one of the things that Philip is being led to do, he asks him right away. He's, he hears him reading, okay? And he asks him, do you understand? You know, did you know that understanding is a gift of the Spirit? Something, the Spirit, you can pray for and ask the Lord to give you when you don't understand. And it works together with knowledge and with wisdom. And, and, and discernment. Well, discernment falls under wisdom. Okay. It falls, it's, they're kind of like a tree, in a sense. And you have discretion, and you have discernment. Those all fall under wisdom. Knowledge, on the other hand, can be information, but it can be information gleaned in various ways. You can have information that's different through an experience. You can have information from a book. You can have information in a relationship. All those are different ways in which you get the information. The application of that information is wisdom. For example, if you're walking down the street and you come to a corner and the light is red, what do you do? Stop. How did you know that? The rules of the road. Right. That's knowledge. But the point of you stopping is the wisdom part of that. If you choose to be foolish, you're going to go. Okay? Wisdom is you acting on the fact that the light is red and you know to stop. Right? If you're in a car, it's the same thing. If it's green, you go. If it's yellow, for some people, it's speed up as fast as you can. Or proceed with caution. Okay? But basically, the idea is all of that knowledge that you know all the different traffic things mean comes into play with the wisdom. And it all happens because you understand what's happening. But sometimes you may not have the understanding. You may not have the understanding. Sometimes people come here, they're new to our country. Do they understand all the rules at once? Learning how to apply. Learning how to apply. And there's also the ability of knowing exactly what something means. Because sometimes... You can understand something in the context in one particular situation, but in a different context, it might mean something else. Right? So it's important to understand in each situation what God is giving us. Now, in Philip's situation here, Philip has the understanding. But the question we have to sometimes ask ourselves is our assignment to always to give the understanding. And this is where it gets in the application of it. We may know something. We may have knowledge and we may be blessed with wisdom. 
But in every situation, God doesn't always want us to be the person or the vehicle by which that understanding comes forth. And so, we should pray when we see a situation like this, where someone doesn't know something, we should say, Lord, let me be the vehicle of their understanding. Sometimes the Lord will say, okay. And the person also has to be willing to say, I want to understand based on what you know. Other times, people will tell you, I already know, and I don't need your understanding, right? And then if we force them, what happens? Arguments. Arguments. They may not want to hear what we have to say. They may not like us anymore. We've lost, an, we've lost a relationship, possibly. And so it's important to note, is God giving us the assignment to speak the understanding to somebody in a given situation? Just because we see that John's going to you know, maybe run the red light, it may not be our place to say, Hey, John, if you keep running red lights, you're going to crash your car. You're going to get hit by a car by crossing against the light. He may not want to hear from you. And so it's important that we say, Lord, is it my assignment to do this? I have the ability. I'm willing to be available. And in every situation, it's not our assignment. In this particular situation, for Philip, this is a desert setting. It was his assignment. It was his assignment to go and be willing. And the eunuch also gives him the permission of saying, will you explain it to me? And isn't it wonderful in this perfect example for us too that God will make a way for all things to fall into place because then they come, then Munich is so, so anxious, so excited, and he sees waters so and cannot be baptized to know that, you know, I've reached the answer to what he's, you know, seeking for. Okay. You know, remembering that God will, like, Rabbi always says, the Holy Spirit has to act. The Holy Spirit does have to act. The Holy Spirit does have to act. And it's not, it's not always just because we're the ones that have the understanding and can bring it forth. The Holy Spirit, is, you, we have to work together with the Holy Spirit. It isn't just me doing it or someone else just doing it. Philip had to know what the Holy Spirit was leading him to do as he went and joined to this eunuch. It wasn't just a matter of him just jumping two feet in and knowing that's exactly... In this particular situation, that's what the Lord wanted him to do. He was being directed by the Spirit to do that. Not every situation we're going to find ourselves, are we going to be called to bring about that same situation? And that's where we always need to be having, like Karen was saying... The discernment is the Lord wanting to use me for this, for this particular situation, for this particular assignment. So, Michael, does this come into play as to, you know, trying to reach people and, you know, let them, you know, want to share the joy of Yeshua in our life and God, that we are so anxious and yet we have to, you know, sometimes we can't jump the gun. It's... It's a matter of people have to invite us to, to, to speak to them. And there's an art to doing it sometimes where you can get people to invite you so that you're having an opening instead of always it being, this is what I want to tell you. 
and will you just listen kind of thing. It has to be led of the Spirit. People will open an invitation to you if they see you being someone of self-control, someone who's willing to listen, someone who's willing to be patient. These are all fruits of the Spirit. Not only does Philip recognize the situation and know the assignment in this particular situation, he also knows the passage. Now, does anyone know the passage that's being read here? Isaiah 53, and what part of Isaiah 53? Where it talks about Yeshua being a lamb led to the slaughter. A lamb led to the slaughter. Why do you think this particular passage is quoted here? What's, what are we seeing in this particular passage that's, that's different? Well, I think one of the things that this passage speaks about to me, this is what it spoke to me, and is humility. Does anybody know what humility looks like? I mean, what does it mean to be humble? Does it mean like, oh, I'm humble? You know, I bow my head, I show piety. Is that what humble is about? Just right now, for example, I was about to get something I'm not supposed to. Robert David said, do you really need that? Okay. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> but what, what is, and, and you're, you're pointing on it, but what is the point? What is, what is the we point of... To listen to do. It's, it's a willingness to be teachable. It's a willingness to... I mean, this is a, a tough circumstance that he's like being led to the lamb as a, led as a lamb to the slaughter but he's not doing what resisting he's not resisting and that shows a certain amount of humility that each person and that would be something that would strike you was yeshua someone that was humble mm-hmm. what made him humble was it just that he bowed his head and was pious? Or, he was totally know? submission to the Father. Totally submitted to the Father. Totally submitted to the Father. And, and what did he say? Do you remember at the beginning of our sessions, what was one of the things? My food is to what? Do the will of the Father. Do the will of the Father. And so this passage even speaks about that he's willing to be submissive even to being cut off from life. Now that's a pretty strong submission. Someone who's willing to submit even to the point of death. I don't know that everyone would submit in that situation of saying, I'm willing to die for you, Lord. I'm willing to be quiet and do what I'm supposed to do in this particular situation. And this particular situation is a point where we can preach the gospel from. 
we can't preach the gospel from. We could never know what's ahead for us individually. Eternal life, yes, we know as a believer, but we have to let people know by trusting in Yeshua and the Word of God, studying it, we know we have that confidence that we're on we're on a track and we have everything we need to go forward. So we may not know exactly how things play out. But at some point, we know we may be challenged, and the question is, are we going to have a measure of self-control, a measure of meekness? Are we going to show ourselves as having power under control, someone who may be holding that baby or something small, maybe it's a small animal, and though he could crush it with his hands, you know, some big bodybuilder like Dwayne Johnson, he could crush it with his hands, but he chooses not to. That's what humili true humility is. Power under control. When the, your power is under the control of the Lord and under the control of the Spirit. And that's the humility that you can definitely speak the Word of God from. And we see that Philip does that in this passage. He does, he, he's able to. And he's, he starts there, but where else does he go to? What else do you think he talks about? Well, he probably at some point spoke of the gospel and spoke about baptism, wouldn't you think? Yes. Why? That's, that was his assignment. That was his assignment, <laughs> of course. And so part of that picture is understanding and, and the, the part of baptism that we want to understand is the death and the burial of Messiah. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, the emphasis of which the gospel would have come forth. And the, uh, also the emphasis upon baptism. Upon baptism would have come forth to the eunuch. To the eunuch in this particular situation. And so the eunuch has already been being discipled, right? He was, he was enthusiastic, but in a sense, wasn't the Lord already working here in this situation? Oh, absolutely. How do you know that? Because of his enthusiasm and the fact that uh, he was uh, reading scriptures. He was reading the scriptures. Amen. He was reading the scriptures. He knew that there was something to having that book and reading it. And who might the eunuch be for us? Who are the Ethiopian eunuchs for us? Our teachers? Or... No, not necessarily our teachers, because usually our teachers know more than us, right? right but then that gives Otherwise, they're not very good teachers if they don't. Who do we seek out to help us? Well, he can represent all kinds of things. Because he knows the scriptures, right? Lots of people know the scriptures, don't they? Have you ever run into somebody that knows just enough scripture maybe to be dangerous? No? Do they sometimes even come knocking at your door? Have you ever had an experience with someone who's in a cult? They know the scriptures, right? 
Satan knows the scriptures. Satan does know the scriptures. That's correct. But the point is, we have to be challenged to look outside of who we think the Ethiopian eunuch might be to us. The Lord can bring all kinds of people across our path, and they may have knowledge, some kind of knowledge of the scriptures, but they may not understand what they have. So they might know some things. You know, it might even be people in the church. God loves the people in the church, right? Didn't he die for those people too? They may not be a part of our group here, but they know some of the scriptures maybe, right? Do they understand everything they know? Probably not, but I don't understand everything I know. My point is, whoever the Lord brings across our path could be the Ethiopian eunuch. They might know some of the scriptures, but they may need their understanding opened. And once their understanding is opened, who knows what might happen? Maybe it will be an immediate right away, like the eunuch, that they'll embrace what you have to say. Right? Yes, God can definitely use you as an instrument if you know how to present the understanding and invite and allow yourself to be invited. Philip asks a question. Philip just says, do you know what you understand? A lot of people know sometimes what they think they know about Christians or what they know about even us as messianic, right? There are some people that may think, those messianics, I know what they know. They may think that way. But maybe they don't know it according to the scriptures. And the point is, whether they have a little bit of knowledge or a lot of knowledge, we can be used to open their understanding to what is really the truth in some cases. And they may have some of the truth. I'm not here to say that nobody here has none of the truth. You know, the people who might be the Ethiopian eunuch in our lives, it could be someone that might surprise you. It might be someone who grew up Jewish and doesn't know anything, but they know some things because they learned them when they went as a kid. It's like helping someone to put the pieces of a puzzle together where it all connects. On some level, yes. On some level, it is. And... That's where it starts. Discipleship is a process, and everyone has to be discipled. And part of what we don't see in this particular situation, but that should speak to us, is how do we follow up when someone does come to the Lord? Because there have been people in our congregation, they're brand new believers, and they've come to the Lord. And what happens next is just important. Do they, have, uh, do they have people that come alongside them and keep discipling them? That keep discipling them? Do they have a network? Do they understand? I mean, Philip is being used here, and the Spirit leads the unit to salvation. But at the same time, there's more that needs to be known. And Philip is very clear. He says, do you believe this completely in your heart? Right out of similar wording to what we see in Romans 10, 10. If you believe with your heart that Yeshua is Lord, 
then you can, with your mouth, you make confession. You make confession to that. You believe and you make confession to that. And in that confession, in that speaking forth the truth, then you're able to be come to that point of being ready to be baptized and ready to move on. So, Michael, do you consider it stepping stones? It is like stepping stones. It is like stepping stones. And for new believers, it's important that we know how to equip them, how we get them, whether we are the vehicle that uses them. In this particular situation, what happened with Philip? After he, the, the unit comes to faith, where does Philip go? He disappears and he goes on the next assignment. Yes. And what happens to the eunuch? And he goes on with the rejoicing. joy. He goes on rejoicing. And the point is, at some level, God may only use us that way in somebody's life. And he may want us to lead them to get connected, whether they get connected here at Yeshua Zion, or at some other place in which they can grow up and they can learn more. Just because you bring someone to the Lord, that doesn't mean the work ends for them. They still have to keep learning, and they still have to keep growing. It's so that we all are built up to grow into the full knowledge of the Messiah. And that's kind of what it says in Ephesians 4, that all of us are still at a point of learning to grow up into the head that is Messiah. And that's a process. And some of that process is through other witnesses. Uh, some of that promise, process is by the scriptures being open to us. Not just one passage here like in Isaiah, but also in the New Testament and in the Torah and in other passages like Yeshua did with the people on the road to Emmaus. It said he opened their eyes and opened their understanding that they would understand from where? Not just from the Holy Spirit, but from Moses and the Torah, from the prophets, and even from the Psalms. Each part of the Bible is kind of talked about there as the Tanakh being coming forth in the Old Testament, everything being used to bring about that person's growth and maturity. Well, sometimes we're just the springboard. It's hard to know. I mean, the Bible also talks about, and we can close with this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 8. If someone would turn there and read it. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Now he who plants and he who waters work as one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Okay. So in any kind of situation that we come to, we don't know if we're the planter in somebody's life, somebody who's first introducing someone to the Word. Now in the Ethiopian eunuch, was there someone else that had planted? Or was that Philip's job? Well, no, he just came from an area where 
talk was about... So there was another planter in the Ethiopian eunuch's life. What was Philip then? He was a waterer on some level, right? He brought more understanding. And each of us may be given that assignment, that we're just given more understanding to water somebody along in their growth. But Philip is also the reaper. He's allowed to bring forth the person finally to the Lord. But it's all the Lord's work because it says God gives the increase. Now, what does that look like? Well, he orchestrates everything. He orchestrates everything. He takes them from this person to this person to this person, hopefully, right? In each and every situation. But, you know, what's interesting is God's increase is also invisible. And what I like about that is God does some of his best work invisibly. We don't always see it happening in the person. We don't always know it's happening in the person. It's not something we can say, well, there's the works in Steve's life. It's right there. But it's not, because we don't see it. Everybody gets the increase as God gives it. And God's working is usually invisible, so we don't know how the growth happened for this person or for that person, because God's the one that brought about the growth in the meantime, while they were in the middle here, between the reaper, or between the waterer and the planter, God was giving increase, and increase, and increase. And for some people, that increase might be a lot more than it will be for other people. Because some people need a lot more increase, right? So we have to let ourselves be, we have to submit to be used by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, we have to be willing to submit to be used but we also have to be willing to let go and say, I've done this, and I believe God will give the increase at some level. And I think that's kind of what Philip ends up doing here. He ends up getting this guy started on salvation, but then he departs to another assignment. And that can be just as hard, too, is learning to let someone go and let God do the rest of the work. Sometimes we want to be like, you've got to come to salvation right now. And that's not always of the Lord. So Philip went to his next assignment, and the eunuch went on to tell people in his, going to his land. Well, we assume that. That's assumed, but he was definitely rejoicing, and you can probably say in that rejoicing, it never stays inside. That rejoicing, a lot of times the Greek and in the Hebrew when it says to rejoice, it actually takes on a physical characteristic that people physically move in their rejoicing. And in some way you're going to, I would imagine so, he did in turn impact people. People in Ethiopia, people in Africa, who knows how far what God did through him went how the disciples all had, you know, they all went in different directions and how they went to far-reaching lands, you know, fearlessly. 
you know, Paul, because he did, and Thomas, and, and Peter, you know, that we have to be willing to go to the far reaches, you know, into our neighborhood, you know, come back home. One of the faith statements that we who labor in evangelism have is that, and this is out of Matthew 10, is you will, your words will be believed through me. And it's said in a number of ways, the reward that we get is that people will believe what we say. And in that sense, that's what's called a prophet's reward. When someone in turn believes what we say, that's what we're rewarded with. That God was heard and that they heard us because God was speaking through us. Now, is it true I heard something um, that when we do have a, reach our eternal reward or heaven, that it'll, we'll, we'll be able to see all we've accomplished and to see, you know, if we really put our heart into the work of, per se, evangelizing or telling people or set the example, that there'll be a crown for us. And not that you're looking for a reward in heaven. You know what I'm trying to say? That the, uh, our joy in heaven will be evaluated according to how we strove to follow you know, the Holy Spirit and to follow the desire to, you know, to go as the Shua I've said it to the children on Shabbat you know, we're, we're supposed to go out into the world. Well, and God is also interested in rewarding us now if you didn't know. Do, would you like a reward now? I mean, God wants to reward us not just when we get to heaven. And I think that's sometimes a misnomer is, I'm doing all this, and then when I get to heaven, I'm going to get all kinds of great rewards. God is interested in rewarding us also in the here and now. And that sometimes comes through just faith and belief in Him. And also it comes through just being willing to trust and obey Him. And that's, that's a reward in and of itself, because part of the picture is we get God's joy. When God gives us joy we, in turn, already have a reward. We already have a reward. And it's not something that's way out there down the road that we are going to say, boy, when I get to heaven in 45 years or in 65 years or when my birth certificate expires, I know that I'm getting something then. God is interested in rewarding us now. And, and so then that also gives us encouragement to keep going forward. And forward. It's definitely going to encourage us to keep going forward. Is, is anybody rewarded now by something they do? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, being a child of God is a reward. It is a reward. It is a reward. And that's kind of what, we can't look at rewards as something that's way far off at times. But God is interested in rewarding us in the here and now. I think I'm just about done. Is there any more comments or questions that folks had for us? Jesus says uh, that he has come to give life more abundantly. And he doesn't say in the hereafter, he says now. That's right. That's correct. And so it's, it's a challenge for us to sometimes feel re the rewards, but, but the rewards are there, and we have to challenge ourselves to look for them. Done. I've done enough. You have to constantly pursuing and, and 
forging on because, you know, the joy of the Lord is so wonderful to see in someone's life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Seeing a changed life is a reward. And that's that's a reward I always rejoice in. That's a reward, you know, and it might not be something that's always dramatic and, and like earth shattering, but at the same time a changed life is a reward. And then what I run into is when people poo poo it and I want don't know anything about want to know anything about it, that it's it sort of sets you back and say, Why don't they see? You know, and then you feel bad and you say, Well, I'm gonna give up. Well, like I said, that's where you have to leave it and say it's God's work and it's invisible and he's going to do the work. Amen. Rabbi David, if you would close us in prayer, unless there's any other questions. Lord, we thank you for what we've heard tonight, what we learned tonight, Lord. We just ask that you would continue to... Um, work through us Amen. and as as your word penetrates us and changes us Lord may we be used by you in whatever stage uh, of a person's life that might be help us to uh, to see ourselves as as uh, a sower or a fertilizer or water or a reaper whatever it might be help us to walk confidently in in the role that you've given us that you've prepared us for so I pray that we, each of us would be prepared Lord for for the journey ahead and for uh interacting with other people who are along our journey. So we just thank you for this time. Pray your safety for all of us as we leave tonight. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.